I like it spooky. Hey everybody, welcome to I Like It Spooky Horror Podcast. I'm Brian. I'm Jason. I'm Clint. And it's February. You know what that means, right? It's still cold. Love is in the air. It means I love you guys. Oh, Clint. Oh, um, I sorry, I was I was actually talking about our audience. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> uh, you've shown me how much you love me. I'm really glad that I thought that after I said awkward, we would just cut right to the news because what he said just scared the shit out of me. So. <laughs> <laughs> Means we got to leave it in. Speaking of the news. All right. I got this. So I want to talk about some more physical media releases coming out. I love physical media releases. I love 4K. Some movies uh, don't really need 4K for some reasons. And one I'm going to talk about is kind of one, but I'm still excited regardless just because packaging looks cool. I'm going to start with uh, Scream Factory is releasing People Under the Stairs. So it's coming out. It's going to have... You can order the poster with it if you order it through Screen Factory. I love People Under the Stairs. My wife loves it. We like to revisit it every once in a while. So, And I don't believe I own a physical copy like DVD, Blu-ray, anything of it. So I've only watched it you know, streaming. So I'm actually going to pick one up now. Either of you guys have that one? No. I, I do not, no. Wow, okay, see. Do you guys like Do you guys like that movie? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not in my top 10 or anything, but I, I've seen it a few times. I enjoyed it, yeah. Yeah, we were actually talking about it at work this week. One of the girls has got like a torn muscle in her hip. And I was like, what are you doing, Gimp? And she's like, who's Gimp? I was like, you know, from uh, Pulp Fiction. And then it got, I was like, oh, and then we could buy you a outfit like the dad and the people under the stairs movie. And she's like, what are you talking about? I was like, you never see people under the stairs. Hey, so that, what, you, what you said just reminded me, and this is stupid, but I, I just saw, I, I read it, I don't remember what it was, but there's a, a fan film or something out or coming out, and it's supposed to be a continuation of the, the story in Pulp Fiction with the, with the pawn shop there. Like, it's, it takes place after Zed's dead. That, that's all I know. I just remember seeing it. I mean, yeah, I guess it's still just a functioning pawn shop, except, you know, you don't want to get taken down to the basement. <laughs> I mean, Bruce Willis kind of saved everybody from that, though. So The other one I got, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And that's one I kind of meant where it doesn't really need a 4K release. I don't know. I guess they're just doing it. I'm sure it's going to make it look pretty in some aspects of it. Maybe color, maybe saturation, maybe sound. Who knows? But that's always been like the grainy type movie that you kind of want to keep like the grindhouse style. Something for that. But I'm still interested checking it out. I'm not a 4K snob, but I just like to buy what's relevant and new just so I can stay with the times. Packaging looks amazing. It's coming from Second Sight over in the UK. It's coming in a nice box set. Has a 190-page book coming with it, which, hell, I'm excited about the book. Hopefully they show a bunch of pictures, maybe behind the scenes, maybe just telling the story of Toby Hooper doing that movie. And uh, there's also a release coming from Dark Sky. It looks identical. Identical. It's just not coming in a box set. It'll just be the traditional 4K look. And that's available here in the United States. But I'm going to go ahead and pre-order it from uh, Diabolic DVD. Instead of going through and importing it through Second Sight, they'll just handle that and it'll be a little cheaper, hopefully. So, yeah, super excited for that. What do you guys think? No, so I agree with what you said. I've I brought it up a couple times. In fact, I just got into a conversation about this again 
last weekend when I was in Pennsylvania. I don't think this needs a, a 4K release. I don't get into the the 4K. I mean, if you know, whatever. I just I kind of like the film look. You know what I mean to, to movies. But I almost I kind of want to see it. I just want to see it to see what they do because yeah, the the graininess is a character in the film. Yeah, when I watch it, I'm probably not going to notice any kind of difference. And it's not like I'm going to put them up side by side anyway. And I'm sure some people will. So I'll still look into it. Is Texas Chainsaw Massacre the most released movie on physical media in the history of mankind? Uh, probably Night of the Living Dead. Or, well, that's free. You can get that. You can watch that on YouTube for free because it's public domain. It's got to be like that or Evil Dead. I wonder, that'd be a question to like look up and be like, oh, it's this movie. It'd probably be something we wouldn't even think of. But it just seems like every six months, oh, we're releasing Texas Chainsaw Massacre. On Blu-ray, 4K, Steelbook, Cartoon. You mean even like adaptions of it and stuff like that? Oh, we were releasing the movie with a new cartoon version on 4K. You know what I mean? Like, did you have you heard the other news that um, I don't know if it's new news or if it's something that's been out for a long time and now it's just getting some new life because uh, Night Court's back on TV with John Larroquette. John Larroquette said that he did the opening for Tex Chainsaw Massacre. He read this, like the opening to the movie um, and was paid by Toby Hooper in marijuana. Probably the 70s. Going to give me a couple little bags? All right, sure. That was before Night Court. And now I want to go back and watch Tex Chainsaw Massacre just so I can think of Dan Fielding reading, you know, the opening to Tex Chainsaw Massacre. You just found out about that? Yeah. You need to get out more. I knew it was John Larroquette, but I didn't know he was paid in weed. So that was the one part that was new to me. But yeah. Yeah, just never paid attention to it. I was busy watching Godzilla movies. <laughs> that explains it. What else? You got anything? That's it for me. Just watching you drink your coffee and waiting for your part of the news. I'm really glad that when the, the finished product of our episodes come out, you don't hear because when we record, I cringe because he's always eating or drinking and I hear it go down his throat. <laughs> I hear it go like into the, like the upper intestines and it makes its way through. And I'm just like, Oh my God, people are going to hear. (laughs) This is like a Cronenberg podcast, body horror. (laughs) So my news is that swamp thing becomes the first movie in James Gunn's DC universe to find a director. So it sounds like swamp things happening. Um, You know, he's in talks with filmmaker James Mangold, who's done a ton of stuff. Um, Walk the Line, 310 to Yuma, The Wolverine, Night and Day, Ford vs. Ferrari. So Swamp Thing seems kind of out of his wheelhouse. But with James Gunn, I mean, I'm excited about that. And I love Swamp Thing. Probably two better than one just because it's part two, but... I love Swamp Thing. I think Swamp Thing's just a blast. You know, the creatures, and I'm sure they'll do great stuff with James Gunn. Did you guys see the, what was it, the last one? The Suicide Squad with the Shark Man and the big jellyfish, starfish thing? Did you guys see that one? I saw the I saw the first Suicide Squad, that's all. Yeah, the second one's way better. You watch it just for the, the big shark guy that's eating people and ripping them in half. John Cena was funny, too. Yeah, as Peacemaker. Yeah. So I'm kind of I'll, I'll be a little apprehensive about this with the the show that was just out a few years ago had one season. Not even that. I think they showed like two or three episodes and then they're like, oh, this is canceled. And that was just it. I don't even think they finished showing it or is, is it going to be the same studio? So who does all the DC stuff? 
I don't, I don't even remember. Whatever, whatever, doesn't matter. But yeah, no, I hope, I hope it gets, you know, all the money thrown at it and it comes out really good. But that was another thing about Swamp Thing, kind of like the old style B rated. That's kind of what you want with that. And now that they're trying to make it A list type stuff, well, I'm not saying that they will, but of course they want to to make the money. Swamp Thing's gotten a lot of love in the, in the comic world too. I think there's a, a series, or I just I remember seeing multiple Swamp Thing comics. Yeah, there was a show on uh, USA Network like in the 90s, maybe even like right in the 90s. It was like 72 episodes long, so it did well. The new one that they filmed and showed like three episodes, it was getting a lot of buzz and a lot of love from a lot of people. Enjoyed it. It just, I don't know if it didn't have numbers or, you know, the directors and the actors couldn't get along or the studio couldn't get it. You know, you never know what those kind of things are, but it seemed like it was good. I never watched it, but I was about to say I've never seen it yet. I want to. I watched. I watched a little bit. You'd go watch three episodes and be like, "Oh, I want to see more," and there's nothing more to see. I think they finished it all, but I don't think I don't know. I could be totally wrong, but the season it's out there to be seen. That'll be on the Swamp Thing 10th anniversary 15K. They will include the eight episode series <laughs> from USA Network in 2020. That'll be the special features on it. 2020 that was three years ago well yeah when did the show air it's not like oh i thought you were talking about future because you're talking about the 8k future release whatever yeah so when they put that out they'll have all eight episodes of the show that yeah aired two years ago or three years ago now Uh, and you can talk about it i'll make sure to send you the link in 10 in 10 years i don't remember last week i'm not gonna remember years what about you clint what news do you have well, all I know is I was going to wrap up your Swamp Thing by talking about, I am curious to see what they do with it, because pun intended, but Swamp Thing never seems to get out of the mud. It's always stuck in the mud. Yeah, wah, wah, wah. I'm here all week. Tip me. Not your waiter. Me. So, yeah, let, let's see if they can do something else with it. Bring it to a different level. My news is from Bloody Disgusting. Last year, we talked a lot about, we covered a lot of different things about George Romero news and Night of the Living Dead news. The George A. Romero Foundation has partnered uh, with Bloody Disgusting for a scripted audio series. This was first announced by Deadline, and Bloody Disgusting is expanding upon George A. Romero's Night of the Living Dead universe with a brand new scripted audio series titled The Dead. And it says here it's being distributed by, I can never pronounce anything, Cinegym, whatever, sorry, C-I-N-E-D-I-G-M Podcast Network. Cinedime. Thank you. And it'll feature 24 episodes and a full cast. Uh, Writers will be chosen to pen the stories following an application process through which the George A. Romero Foundation will select the best candidates. And Bloody Disgusting team will then work with the selected writers to produce the stories. So, I mean, more Night of the Living Dead stuff, more George A. Romero Foundation stuff. But what's cool about this, it's in our world. It's in the podcast world. And also, it looks like uh, I don't see anything about like a, a submission, but I'm sure you can do a little research. So, I mean, you know, you, I, anybody listening could pen something up and, and submit it and maybe wind up being a writer for this show. Yeah, that's what I thought you said scripted audio. So I was thinking, I'm like, oh, okay. So not even like movies, just kind of going back to the old days of the, I, I think of like the radio stories and stuff like that. But hell, I still pull up YouTube videos now with people just talking about scary little stories and I just sit there and listen to them. So that sounds fantastic. I'll be excited for that. I've said I'm not creative. 
so I can't write any. A friend of the show, uh, we've talked about him a few times, Brian Hoover, who you guys will meet this April at Motor City Legacy. He's a, a an artist, and he'll have his first ever convention booth there at Motor City Legacy. So it'll be cool for you guys to meet. He turned me on to um, an old radio show based out of Chicago called Lights Out. If you guys ever get a chance, go to YouTube and, and search up Lights Out, and it's real old time. I want to say it was it aired from like thirty six to forty eight or something like that. You know, I can't remember the exact years, but it was great. It was all these old old stories, and like like you're saying, Jason, that old school radio with you know the the sound effects in the background, and yeah, I hope that's what this uh what this new Night of the Living Dead project is. It'd be fun. When I worked on the psychiatric unit at a hospital in DeKalb, um, I worked night shift. We would, on Saturday nights, tune into WGN radio and listen to the Twilight Zone hour. So it's just me, one other person. All the patients are sleeping. All the lights are out. We're listening to the Twilight Zone radio on the psychiatric unit. And it was just, it was almost relaxing just sitting there, you know, listening to the Twilight Zone radio. And they would take old episodes of the show and update them with newer actors and the sound, I mean, just redo them. I enjoyed it a lot. It was, like you said, just a nice throwback, olden days. You know, Brian, I've heard you refer to the psych ward a few times before. I'm really starting to wonder if you worked there or if you were relaxing there as a patient. Hey, uh, Jason, you're pretty good at stalking. How much money do you think it's going to take to dig into this and find out? I don't know. I haven't looked up like PI uh, going rates lately. You know, maybe we can find a sponsor to kind of raise that money. That'd be cool. Well, let's uh, let's see how, how poor we are this week. And then we can kind of figure out from there how much money we got. Because I want to know, was he patient number nine or was he, you know, employee of the month? I don't know. I didn't know which way you were going there. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. What are we? On this episode, Why Are We So Poor, I got a couple things I picked up that I'm pretty excited for. I don't physically have them in my hands, sadly, to show you guys, but they will be here like tomorrow. So I'll definitely show you two. And I know I, I suck at posting, so nobody else will probably ever see them. But <laughs> I'll try to get back into that. But uh, through Dark Delicacies, they were doing a couple signings. It would have been last weekend um, now, like the end of January, if you guys are listening to this. On Saturday, they did a signing with um, The Dentist, um, that release that's coming out. It's a Vestron one, right, Brian? The Dentist and Dentist 2? Yeah, it's already out. I have my copy already. No, right, right, but I just didn't. I, it's from Vestron, right? Yeah. So they did a signing with uh, some of the cast from... That I know Ken Faree's there, the director. There were several people doing a signing on the Blu-ray. So I had that get signed for me. So that's coming. And then also the next day, they had a signing with Harry Manfredini, composer for all the Friday the 13th movies. La La Land Records last year had a Friday the 13th Part 1 where they had exclusive Harry Manfredini signed copies. And I was able to order in time to get one of those. But this time I got on there shit like an hour after it came out and it was already sold out the harry manfredini part through la la land records who put out the cd dark delicacies was doing a signing with him on sunday so i still am getting a signed cd of uh, friday the 13th part two i guess they were able to find other master recordings 
with some of the stuff that's never been published. It's like a deluxe edition. I'm excited for that. So a couple of signed things, people I haven't met in person, but I really wish I could have gone, but I can't just fly out to Burbank, Los Angeles for that. I wish I wish I did live closer because Dark Delicacies does great signings a lot. There you go. See, there's the dentist. Brian paid a lot less than I did. Well, mine's not autographed. And I got a 69 cent discount because it price went down. So <laughs> Amazon gave me some money back. So I'm not sure where mine's going to be signed at. I forgot to like even, I don't know if I can like request it or anything like that. I don't know if it'll be on the slip cover or if they open it and sign it like on the inside cover art of the movie itself. Whatever. I don't care. I'll be surprised no matter what. And I'm sure I'll be happy with it. You remember what that one cost? Oh, yeah. Good question. Um, The... Uh, the movie was 20 and then I paid 10 shipping. So I paid 30, but then it also included the shipping for the Friday, the 13th CD. So I guess technically I paid 25 for that. And like, I think it was only like 17, 18 bucks total with shipping for the Friday CD. Yeah. The CD was 17 and then whatever it would have cost to ship it if you got it by itself. But that is with all the autographs. You just pay a flat rate for the movie or whatever you're getting and the shipping and all the autographs are included. So, yeah. So if you guys don't, if you don't know anything about Dark Delicacies, definitely look them up. I I love what they do. So what, five autographs on that, on that DVD or Blu-ray, whatever it is. And that's cool. Yeah. You just pay for the movie and it gets signed for free, essentially. That's all I got. What do you got? That's it. I ain't got nothing. Really? Yes. I do. What? I never, have I ever never had anything? Well, there's always a first. I don't know. There's been a couple times I haven't had anything. What are you trying to say? I'm a degenerate. Got my vinegar syndrome shipment. Threw a ex, couple extra movies in. I got Detention. I don't know, a Japanese film with the slipcover. This is one of the $10 ones. Girls School Screamers with the slipcover. That was another one of the $10 ones. The slip's cool. I hear the movie's awful. On the back, it says the finishing school that finished them off. The 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 artwork in the front is far superior than that picture you just showed me in the back. Let's see what else? Then this is the subscriber stuff. Far beyond on 4K. That's another Ken Free movie. He's in that one. Made in Hong Kong, Volume One. It's got a little book with it. Got three movies: The Demon's Baby, Erotic Nightmare, and The Deadly Camp. Infernal Rapist. <laughs> the, the back of that one's cool. <laughs> She's got laser eyes. Wow. You keep getting deeper. And look, I love trash cinema, but you keep get. Where the hell do you find some of this stuff? They just mail it to you when you're a subscriber. Oh, all right. Uh, Frostbiter, uh, Wrath of the Wind, Windingo. Look, oh, here's the last one. Return Living Dead on 4K. I finally picked it up. It was on sale, and I had some Amazon points to use. So I was like, "Fuck, I'll pick it up." What the hell? That's that's another one, kind of like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Return of the Living Dead has kind of this like not graininess like like Chainsaw Massacre, but this kind of look to it. I wonder if it would be diminished in 4K. You'll have to let us know. Oh, and I got my Tarban from Big Bad Toy Stores and Trick or Treat Studios. It's still in the box. I haven't taken it out yet. I'm so proud of you. I think I'm just gonna leave them in there and put them up on the because the boxes. If this part of the episode gets left in, we are now watching Brian bend over and pick up something out of a box. It is a sealed in plastic Tar Man action figure from Trick or Treat Studios. Yeah, he's sealed in plastic still. I don't know if you can even... The box is cool. You see the box? 
So I think I'm just going to leave him in the box. I mean, Kool-Aid drinker. You can't really see him. Yeah, you can't really see him through the plastic on the, when you open the box, it's got like a, you know, the door. You can't really see him through there. Take him out. I'm just going to leave him in there for now. Right now, Brian's got an angel and a devil on the shoulder, and Jason is the devil. Well, Clint would be proud. I got this in Chicago last year. Steel sealed. Can you see him through the window? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, but it's Tarman's black. Um, so this guy's a little better. I think they're forgetting that we're on an audio podcast. So for you listening, Jason is holding open a Terrifier action figure. Still, Art, Art the Clown is still at home in his box. No, this is a special edition. This is Brent Edgett as Art the Clown from Trick or Treat Studios. You wouldn't be able to tell the difference, I can, I can tell you that. Dude knocked it out of the park. I know that Brian will will edit this episode to make it sound as professional as possible, but so far this episode has been about as wonky as the fucking movie we're covering a little bit. <laughs> Maybe it's on purpose. We are off the rails. That's all I got. What do you got, Clint? I actually got stuff this time. I'm pretty excited. Hell yeah. So I talked about this before. It was a pre-order, but finally from... Um, from Fright Rags and Stop the Killer Games, my My Bloody Valentine uh, board game showed up. I ordered two, one so I could play, one so I could keep wrapped up into the collection. And then along with it, I got the two expansion packs. One came in this really cool heart-shaped candy box. And then along with it, I also purchased an additional minor game piece. And he's got the, the light on his helmet, so he's a light-up minor game piece all that stuff won't get opened um i'll leave that with the, with the sealed uh version of the game that i got uh but i also along with it i went ahead and added on the my bloody valentine novel and it's the first edition hardcover so with it being the first edition excuse me it has a foreword by george the director of the original my bloody valentine it has an extra chapter which i think all the uh the novels that come out after this first edition won't have that and it was also signed by George and um, I think his name's Alonzo. It's not in front of me, the the author of the book. And what was interesting about that was I figured they would sign the book. Well, I pull the book out and I'm looking, I don't see it. I don't see a signature. And I'm like, oh man, I got gypped, you know, but whatever. Well, there was this um, heart sticker sealed envelope in there, almost like a sort of love note. And you open it up. They had signed graphic adhesive back sticker. And I thought that was kind of cool. I guess I think I'd rather have it on the on the book myself, but I thought it was cool because, you know, maybe some people don't want the book signed. So you could take the sticker off, put it on your book. You could display it next to your book. You could stick it away, whatever you want to do. They give you options. Uh, and then also along with it came a My Bloody Valentine bookmark. And on the back of that, it says first edition hardcover. So that stuff was all really cool. I was super excited to get that. And then Fright Rags also just announced a My Bloody Valentine card set. And there were different um, options. You could get like a box set or you could get like this whole sealed set pack or you could get just little individual packs. I went ahead and even though I shouldn't be spending the money, I got the uh, the, the sealed set and it comes with uh, a ton of cards and it comes with two autograph cards. All in all, there's um, I think eight autograph cards and they're just randomly put into these sealed sets so i don't know which and so one sealed set comes with two autograph cards i don't know which ones i'm going to get and i'll never know which ones i'm going to get because hashtag save the box it's going to stay wrapped up something really cool that happened was i was just in pennsylvania for the uh the valentine bless fan film 
a theater premiere. Anyway, someone who I know who knows someone got an early autograph card from that from that set and it's uh and gifted it to me. So I was very very humbled and it's uh, a Peter Cowper who was the original miner and the original my buttery valentine. It was his autograph card with his autograph. Um so I got a little extra bonus there which was nice. Yeah, that's pretty much all I spent money on other than for just a quick little side story. Again, I was in Pennsylvania for the Valentine Bluffs fan film uh, theater premiere. So I spent some money going there, getting a hotel room and stuff like that. And I get up Sunday morning with the intention of I was going to have to run Chuck and I, who plays the minor in the film, we split a room and because he came in from, I think, Wisconsin. So I got up with the intention of uh, I'm going to take him where he needed to go. And then I was going to head home. It was like an eight hour drive back to Michigan. And he says, hey, do you want to go to breakfast with everybody? And I go, uh, I don't know, man. I got a long drive. And I was just, he goes, well, do you want to go eat at, at Blairstown Diner? And I was like, what the hell is Blairstown Diner? And he looked at me like, like I'm an idiot. And he was like, you know, the diner from Friday the 13th, the original Friday the 13th. And I went, oh, yeah. He says, it's like 20 minutes away from here. He's like, are you serious? He goes, yeah. So we all met up and uh, had breakfast at Blairstown Diner, which which was cool. I had to. I knew my daughters would be pissed that I was there without them. So I picked up uh, each of us. They had a bunch of T-shirts, you know, Blairstown Diner T-shirts with a hockey mask on the back. So I picked one up for the girls and one up for me. Yeah, so I spent a little money doing that, you know, grabbing the shirts and getting breakfast. Food was good. Company was great. I'm, I'm glad I got that opportunity to go. And then I'm getting ready to leave to head home. And then Tom Smith, the director of Valentine Bluffs, he's like, so if, you, if we go 20 minutes down this way, there's the camp and there's the general store and there's the bridge. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so close to all this stuff. But by now it was, you know, pushing 1231 o'clock. So I, I skipped out on that and, and drove home. Yeah, so that's why I'm poor. But I tell you what, it's a blast being poor sometimes. Memories. No, that sounds like a good time. Yeah, you would have to go to that Blairstown Cafe. Man, that would have been so hard being there. How long was your drive? Like, was it going to put you back late? It, it was, well, it was eight hours. So my intention was to get up and leave, you know, probably about like 9, 9.30 in the morning. You know, so I was two or three hours behind. I mean, I still got home at a halfway decent time, but I didn't want to drive in the dark in the mountains and all that. So you were talking about the My Bloody Valentine book and game and going back to Dark Delicacies again, they just had a signing yesterday as we're recording this with a lot of the people from My Bloody Valentine. And they had the board game with some of the creators and some of the cast that were signed in that. And then they had the book, which I really wanted, and they were going to have a bunch of people sign it. But you couldn't pre-order the book. They just had them and they said, hey, if we have any left the next day, we'll put them up online. But then they posted last night sometime. They're like, oh, all sold out. So I'm kind of bummed. I was going to order one of those books signed by a bunch of people. Uh, the hardcover, My Blood Valentine. You know, it's cool about that hardcover book that I I knew this, um, but, you know, Ghoulish Gary Poland did the the artwork for the cover of that. But what I didn't know, I just found out was the uh, reference reference that he used for that was of Chuck Ryan as the miner. Really? So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. It's freaking cool. I didn't make it to the movie. I bet you that if it was Valentine Bluffs, the fan film part two, you would have made it. Oh, yeah. I'll definitely be there for that one. <laughs> I'll just take my Chuck Ryan autograph Valentine Bluffs heart to bed with me tonight and cuddle it. So I wonder if the vinyl soundtrack from Waxwork Records, because that artwork was done by uh, Ghoulish Gary. It looks a lot like pretty much the same. A picture of the miner on the front. 
So I wonder if that was based on Chug. That's kind of cool. Yeah, more than likely. I haven't seen the artwork on the record, but. I saw it for about two minutes the other day when I was on eBay looking at prices for it. And I was like, fuck, I want to buy this, but it's expensive. It's Isn't it still available at Waxwork? I didn't think so. The soundtrack? Yeah, the soundtrack. I think it is. And I, I thought I saw some people comment recently on a post where. Oh, it's sold out. Okay. It was kind of like a back or forth. It was kind of like uh, the banter was almost like Jason and I discussing Twice Dead, the last episode that we covered. And it was some people were like, oh, this this album is so worth it. And other people were like, there's like five songs on this and I'm not going to pay X amount of dollars, whatever it was. Some people thought it was too expensive. Well, I'm glad I have it. I'm lucky I bought it when it first came out then. They do that a lot. They release a lot of records and where it's like, oh, I'll wait and pick that up later. And then it sells out super quick and you're... SOL. Oh, we've talked about that before. A lot of this, when you get into this world of collecting things and, and certain things come out, you just, that that's like the trading cards. I'm really in no financial position to just, oh, look here, I'll spend 120 bucks here on, on some trading cards. You know what I mean? I enjoy that, but I mean, you know, as a fiscally financial, responsible, uh, responsible financial adult, I shouldn't be doing it. But if you don't, it's gone. We talked about this the other day, the three of us, uh, the Halloween Halloween had a trading card set, and now you can't get them, and the, the price has doubled. So I always look at that stuff as an investment when it, it justifies my, I shouldn't be doing this. I'm like, oh, if I need to, I can turn around and, and double my money. It's still in my cart, the trading cards. Well, with the uh, the sealed, the most expensive. Yeah, the $120 box. Yeah, there was only 320 sets available, so you might want to hop on it now. I'll see how much money I spend today. At Costco, doing adult stuff. I mean, uh, it's a good thing that I'm getting a spare room around for you guys when you come up for Motor City Legacy because, you know, if your old ladies hear me talking about, well, you should buy this now, they're going to be like, what? Get out of here. You're spending all this money you shouldn't be spending when you should really be doing things like getting a sponsor for the show. Hey, let's hear from the sponsor. Aren't you tired of seeing the same old mainstream movies bouncing back and forth on the same old streaming services? Don't let these conglomerate cartels burn your hard-earned cash. There must be a better way! There is, and it's called Troma Now! Who said that? That's right. Troma Now is your destination for exclusive, one-of-a-kind cult titles, old and new. Wow, so many to choose from. Poultry guys, Time of the Chicken Dead, Citizen Toxie, Terra Firmer, Return to Return to Nukem High Volume 2. Heck, I think I'll watch them all. Hey, Michael, bring me some butter. I need some butter. Oh, you know, such consistent, high quality new releases. You will never have to go back to watching these elite, devil worshiping international conglomerates of streaming services. Step up to Troma now and have some of Uncle Lloydie's popcorn. Mm, thanks, Uncle Lloydie. Troma now. It's the future. But now. Subscribe today at Troma-Now.com. The first month is free and only $4.99 a month thereafter. Now that we've heard from our sponsor, we're going to talk about our movie. It's a horror comedy. According to me, I don't know. Clint didn't think it was funny. Uh, not a classic. It's a trauma movie. So does that make it classic? No, I guess not. But we're talking about the killer lawnmower movie, Blades. Oh my God. Blades. Just when you thought it was safe to putt. 
What'd you guys think? Jesus Christ, here we go. <laughs> this was not my pick. I talked about this movie. Some friends of mine talked about this movie, and Jason's like, let's cover that movie. So I'm like, okay, if you want. What, what do you feel, Clint? What, what, what was what was your opinion? Oh, um, so, yeah, I'm going to be honest with you. I watched the first 20 minutes of this film, and I turned it off. Rarely do I turn off a movie because um, I always feel that even a, a really bad movie, it, it got made, which is an accomplishment within its within itself, you know. But it was pointless. It was slow. It was unentertaining. It was just, I just could not get into it. So I turned it off. And um, knowing that I was going to have to go back and watch the rest. And I came back a few days later and put it back on. And I don't even think it was, I was in a different mood because I think I, was, I felt like I was in the same mood. It picked up right about where I started watching. I, I turned it off about 20, maybe 30 minutes into it. And when I came back and sat down to finish it, um, I turned it on and it got better. I'm not going to say it was like my favorite film of all time, but it started to pick up and it got entertaining. I'm saddened that you guys don't think that this is a classic because this movie was freaking fantastic. <laughs> like I... I really loved the movie. The whole time I watched it, I knew it was a knockoff of Jaws. So I had that in my head the whole time. And every time something little happened that was just like Jaws, I lost it. It, it was fucking great. It didn't start until maybe halfway through, like Clint was saying, you know. <laughs> it was the Jaws story, period. And especially when... The killer lawnmower is taking people out, and um, they don't know what's causing it. And it's just like the Amityville 4th of July weekend, but they're putting on a golf tournament at this golf course, and it's going to be a major thing for the golf course. So the owner of the golf course is just like the mayor of Amityville. Is it based in Amityville? What's the town called for Jaws? Jaws is based in Amityville, yeah. Amityville, yeah, okay. I thought I was just saying it wrong. Amity Island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... That golf course owner was just like the mayor of Amity Island wanting to bring all the guests and bring all the people in. So they weren't going to let anything get in the way. And of course, you have a character named Roy, which was a nod to Roy Schreider or Schneider from Jaws, the actor who played Sheriff Brody. So I was like, OK, so Roy. And then um, there's this old guy out there. He's golfing and. That guy looked familiar. I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about, but he's like the older guy. He's out there golfing with his dog, and he goes into the brush, and he gets attacked by the lawnmower. You don't see it, but you know something's happening. Oh, yeah. So it, it was just funny to me how like the woods and out of bounds was kind of like the water on Jaws. So whenever they went into the brush or the high grass or anything like that, that's when Jaws would attack them or the mower blades will attack them. Oh my God. It was so good. Well, and then the old man, his wife comes to Roy, who's the golf pro at the course. And he's not the sheriff, but he plays like the sheriff Brody and jaws. And she's all dressed in black and she smacks him just like the mother from jaws smacking sheriff Brody. Oh my God. It, it was so good. There's it's oozing with little Easter eggs. And I loved it. Uh, there's so much more I want to talk about, but I don't want to like hog this episode. So, no, you go ahead because I've only got a few things to say. You can just keep on going. You're going to be the long-winded one on this show. So, um, no, this film was totally pitched as 
Jaws for or, uh, a mix of Jaws and Caddyshack. You know what I mean? And I would be I would be surprised if I know that that's how it was presented. What's this? This is Blades is kind of like if you take Jaws and, and Caddyshack and put them together. So going into this, I love trash cinema, not quite as much as Brian, but I do. Um, I love trauma to death. So I go into this film knowing it's going to be fun. It's going to be a killer lawnmower. It's going to be silly. And then also I thought it's going to be full of gore. It's going to be full of special effects and splatter. And it had none of that. The first 20, 30 minutes, the reason I turned it off, it was so freaking boring. They were doing all of this um, character um, introduction stuff. And the characters were flat. Um, the guy who played Roy, who I thought looked like a poor man's Bruce Campbell because he had the hair and the jawline. <laughs> I I don't know. I, I looked a little bit. I couldn't find much about a lot of people involved in this film. But it, I don't think he was like a professional actor. It was almost like he was like the dentist who put up the money for this movie. You know, and they're like, oh, OK, you're going you're gonna to be in the lead. You know, they, they touched on him having an affair with the coast course owner's wife. None. I didn't care about that. It didn't drive the story. And so I'm just like piss on this. There were two kills that happened within the first half hour. The, the first one is the, the opening of the movie with the, the kids are out in the ninth green or whatever at night partying and the couple get killed. And the second is the old man, like you're talking about, who wanders in the uh, in the brush. He's out golfing by himself. He's got a little his little dog with him and he kind of he likes to golf in the evening. So there's not that many people. So it's getting dark. And both kills were virtually off screen. There wasn't even a blood splatter and i'm just like what is this but yeah when i when i turned it back on again about a half hour into it it was right at what i call the alex kittner scene the that they're all out on the golf course and the the young kid he's probably what maybe 13 if and he's uh he's like a caddy and he's going and he's into the brush to pick up balls that people were slicing into the rough the roy character is watching him and it was almost like brody on the beach during the Alex Kittner scene in Jaws where he's like watching past the crowd of people and he sees Kittner on the yellow raft. And then, of course, the kid gets attacked. That was the first time in the movie where everybody on the course saw this happened up until now. No one seemed to care. They thought it was like some maniac running around. And right after that scene, the movie picked up. It did get some comedy, Brian, because then you had where they had the the meeting and everybody, they sent everybody out and deputized them. And it was the, what was it? The, the maniac hunt. And that was hilarious. You got guys just sitting there. The, there was one, I don't know if you caught it, it was real quick, but the, the camera's panning through this golf course of chaos and all these people in camo were going out loading shotguns and flinging knives around. And there was someone with a hatchet just sitting here hatcheting a tree with these wide, crazy eyes, just sitting there hatcheting a tree. It was hilarious. And yeah, that's kind of like the Jaws when everybody was like going out to catch the shark. And if you remember back to Jaws, you don't get any gore in Jaws until the kids eating on the raft, right? You don't see the shark in the first kill. You don't see the shark until what? Almost the end of the movie, right? In Jaws, kind of like this with the lawnmower. You don't see the lawnmower until I wrote it down one hour and 18 minutes into the movie. You see the full lawnmower. Just like in Jaws, you don't see the shark until nearly the end of the movie. It's worth it. If anybody listening goes and watches this film, when you finally see the lawnmower towards the end, it is glorious. It's hilarious. <laughs> and that's that's got to be where a, a bunch of their, their budget went was you know, hooking this old school beat up scary looking lawnmower up with like a remote control so it could move around. It's pretty funny. When they catch the guy. So they think that 
this old guy that used to be like a groundskeeper with his father that's been fired from the golf course is killing these people. So when they go out to catch them, they send, you know, all the vigilantes out to catch the this guy. They capture him and they have his lawnmower, which is like a little push lawnmower up on the back of the truck and they're winching it up. <laughs> and they're like, we got him. And he's like, you're insane if you think this lawnmower did this. The one that did it's at least four times its size. <laughs> and so they put the guy in jail. That's when the, the wife comes and is like, Roy, my husband looked up to you. She slaps him and you let him go out on the course. This is your fault. Well, and then and then so later on that night, it's like when Brody and Hooper and Jaws, they go down to the docks to cut open the shark to see if the little Kittner boy is in there. Roy, Roy, the the, the golf course pro. And I, I forget the females, uh, her character name, but she was like the other pro. And um, they both go they both go to where this little lawnmower that Brian's talking about is hanging up in the shed somewhere. It's it's a bagger. It's a push mower with a bagger and it's all loaded. And he's like, we got to cut the bag open and see what's in there. And so they cut the bag open. It's all just, you know, mulch and leaves and grass. And they keep shaking it. And then like some golf balls pop out. And then a Playboy pops out, which I thought was funny. But the whole time that was going on, I'm like, why didn't you just take the fucking bag off the mower? You didn't, <laughs> you didn't need to cut it open, you know? Yeah, that's exactly what I thought. I was like, why wouldn't you just unhook the bag? I, I had to rewind it and watch that part again where it was um, when the mower was on the back of the like to- or the tow machine or tow truck. I was sitting there and it didn't ring a bell at first. And then the scene ended and like 10 seconds later, I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> like, so I rewound it and I'm like, oh, my God. Then I finally got it. Oh, glorious. I love that so much. And that the guy who got arrested and blamed is kind of like Quint in Jaws. He he plays that character, you know. Quint didn't get arrested and go to jail for the murder, but he ends up getting out after they realize the mistake. He was a great actor, too. I love how he portrayed his role. And then uh, when I was looking up cast and crew to see what else I could find them in and you know, trying to dive a little deeper into this film, I saw that he was in Beastmaster, which I always loved that film in the 80s there, so... Yeah, he, he was a great actor. And actually, everybody did a pretty good job, except for the guy that played Roy. Even as it went on, he just, he, to me, represented the first 20 minutes of the movie that I saw. And it was just no personality. And of course, like I say, after the after the Alex Kittner scene, the movie did uh, pick up with personality. So he almost he almost played even through the whole movie. It reminded me of watching like a 50s sci-fi flick. Where like the lead hero white guy was always just very well. I don't know, but I think we need to do this to do that. It was just very. It was like Elwood Blues, man, dry toast all the way. Yeah, that's kind of what Brody was. He was a little bit more charismatic, but he was pretty serious about everything. I think this guy was just trying to be way too serious. Well, and this was a trauma pickup. I gather this is not a movie that they made. This is one of those ones that was made. Maybe they got you know offered to distribute it and throw their name on it and they're like oh yeah this is fun we'll throw our name on it but yeah there's definitely like a half hour at the beginning and probably throughout the movie that you could have cut out you don't need the housewife that's trying to fuck everything that has a penis you know like she's hitting on the kid in the beginning selling her a golf club he's like oh yeah it's got a it's got a graphite shaft and she's like well, I'd like to have your shaft. And he's like, uh, what? <laughs> and her friends are just standing like back behind her, just smiling. 
I wonder if Troma did actually produce the film, not just pick it up for distribution, if it would have been more bloody and gory. And I'm just going to throw this in right now. I was going to kind of wait till the end, but you brought it up. The past couple episodes, we talked about remakes, reboots, legacy sequels, all that stuff. This is kind of one of those films I'm talking about where this would be fun to be remade. I, I know James Wan's not going to remake Blades. I could see Sean Cunningham doing it. This is one of those movies that you could go back, remake, add some things, and you know introduce it to an audience. And I think it'd be fun. It, it'd be in the same vein as Cocaine Bear that's coming out. Why the hell not? I'd go see it. So you're talking about the wife of the course owner there in the beginning and trying to screw everything. And like I said, I didn't care for the whole her and Roy's affair. If you go and read the the novel of Jaws, if you read the book, it didn't make it in the movie, but there's a, um, quite a bit in there that Hooper and Brody's wife, Ellen, actually were having an affair, which I don't think that's how this played out in Blades. But I wonder if that's why they tossed it in there, because it did. It served no no purpose to the story at all of Blades. I like on the Troma website, it talks about it. It's Caddyshack meets Maniac. Really? It Yeah, that's what it says on the Troma website. And of course, it doesn't mention anything about Jaws. I wonder if that, I'm sure that was intentional for the reason of like, oh, you know. There is nothing Maniac about this movie. Nothing Maniac about this movie. Well, that's crazy. Well, they called it like the Maniac Hunt, like with the lawnmower and stuff and... No, I know, but when you say maniac, I think of the the movie with what's his name there in the eighties and the the man. Um, they remade it with Elijah Wood in the mannequins. That oh god, that that's a great movie right there. But so after they arrest the Quint character, they think he's the maniac, and they find out that he's not because they're watching like the live coverage of it, and him and the deputy who's like jailing them, they're watching it, and something uh, somebody else gets attacked and murdered, and he's like, "Well, you want to let me out now?" And the way he said it, too, he, he said it on an upward beat. He's like, so you're going to let me out now? You know, it was just like, and just leaning up against the bars, you know. we did, I, I was I was waiting. We never got like, we're going to need a bigger van or something. I was hoping we would have something like that, unless I missed it. You know, when they're like, oh, we need a bigger boat, that part of Jaws. I thought they did say that. Did they say something like that? I thought they did say something like that. Okay, I'm, I must have missed it then. Because after the scene you're talking about, Jason, where, what is it, where everybody went there and golfed? What, what's the word I'm looking for? It's the, um, the tournament. Yeah, thank you. The the tournament, and it's being televised, like Jason just said. The guy who they thought was the killer is watching it in the jail behind bars on TV. And then the lawnmower shows up and actually starts killing people, kind of like in Jaws when um, it was kind of like when the shark finally showed up and killed the, the paddle boat guy and and ate all of them except his leg that fell off in the lagoon. And then everybody's like, oh shit, okay, we've got a problem. So yeah, they they let the uh, the guy who they thought was the killer out, and then our two golf pros who wind up being the Hooper character, the Brody character, go uh, hook up with the, the maintenance guy, the Quint character. They prepare, um, he, they, uh, prepare his, what, it was it a van? Yeah, his van. It's almost like the, the boat at the end of the movie, and then they go out and start tracking the lawnmower. That's what I was going to say. The hay bales. The hay bales with the balloons on them that are like the tarp, you know, when they shot it and it's dragging all of the barrels around. Did you catch like his helper, whoever it was, had like a Jason Voorhees mask on? He was working in that. And what was his name? Oh, I didn't even catch him. It was Jason. He was like, hey, Jason. (laughs) And then he was like, he's not very smart or something. (laughs) (laughs) I love the part when the mower first attacks, or not when it first attacks, but when everybody's around and it's eating the guy 
that was the cheater and the dude's at home drinking his beer and he's like, ah, he was a cheater anyway. Fuck him or something like that. <laughs> the the balloons are great too. They balloons they had all these smiley faces painted on them. So I thought they were almost to represent the barrels, like in Jaws, the yellow barrels. But I think they were they were using them as decoys because it's a lawnmower, so obviously it wants to eat grass or straw or you know tall whatever. And it was, the balloons were like people. It worked out so well though. So what is that when you finally get the mower comes over the you know the the edge and it's got the suns going down behind it and it's got all these balloons like hanging off of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And they're like, oh my God. Oh no. And it's like, are you? I waited an hour and fucking 18 minutes to see this damn lawnmower. <laughs> and then the rest of the, the rest of the movie plays out just like Jaws. I mean, they're they're trying to uh, you know, they shoot at the lawnmower, it's trying to attack them, they're trying to attack it, it keeps getting away. And then of course, towards the very end of the film, the side door of the van has this full down ramp. The Quint character, the maintenance guy, he's out there as like a uh, bait, as decoy. And then the lawnmower comes to get him and he tries to jump into the van, right? But he slips and the lawnmower comes up and gets up on that ramp, just like the, the shark jumped up on the boat and eats his legs and drags him off. And then comes back a few minutes later and hits the other side of the van, I think it was. And so now the van's tipped over on its side. There's no place for him to hide. Yeah, and at one point they're all, it's nighttime and they're all sitting in the van drinking, you know, and he's telling the story of why the lawnmower's coming to get him. Like in Jaws when they're, he tells, you know, when Quint tells the story about the ship that sinks and all the sharks eat the, you know, all the sailors. Uh, the Indianapolis. How much do you think this movie costs to make? Take a guess. I couldn't find anything in the budget, could you? $650,000. It was filmed in 50 days. I saw the 50 days, 650,000, and that uh, it was released October 13th, 1989. Wow. I actually thought I thought it would have been a little bit more, to be honest, because one of the things I did enjoy about this film from a technical standpoint is um, the production value. I mean, the, the cinematography, the camera setups, the lighting, um, as goofy as this movie was, it was produced well. You guys started, you know, I thought you guys weren't going to like this. And then now as we've talked, I feel like your rating should go up a little more. I think it actually did go up a tick just from this conversation. Yeah. Well, I've seen it twice. I watched it a couple of weeks ago and now it had snowed and we're out in the yard and here's Finley chasing my dogs around with her little push lawnmower. It's the killer lawnmower. It's coming to get you. <laughs> she like runs it up my leg. She's like, you should be screaming. It's eating you. And I was like, Oh Lord. <laughs> Another one of the little nods. It was, God, I wish I remember like the context and exactly what they said, but they're having a conversation and they make a, they make a comment about like, man, it, it just it must be killer lawnmower week or something like that. <laughs> like to do with shark week but then that was you know oh i didn't even i didn't catch that that's funny i need i need to go back and find it but they said something about like it, the killer lawnmower week or we don't get a killer lawnmower week or something like that or i i forget how it was worded but it was fucking great i do like how again it is it's it's almost play by play of jaws but up until you really find out that it is a lawnmower because i guess if you wanted to suspend belief you weren't for sure if it was a lawnmower or if, it, I mean, you kind of knew, but I mean, you didn't really have proof. And then, so after the first couple kills, they had that weird, creepy corner kid who was picking people up. <laughs> he was funny. And I'm like, yeah, he was, you know, you go back and look at that. And it was almost like, are they trying to make you think that maybe this guy's out there killing people or whatever? Cause it, 
he was really weird. He had this weird look in his face and he's just waving to him. And well, he made a comment. He was, he was like, I don't, I only see him. I forget what he said. What'd he say? He said, I only see him like after. I remember he's like, I ain't never seen nothing like this. They said there was a guy that put his hand through a wood chipper, but I missed that one. He's like all disappointed. He was like, he survived or something. Yeah. <laughs> like something like that. <laughs> yeah. And as he's talking, he was like, oh, maybe I'll see you later. <laughs> like just kind of <laughs> creepy. <laughs> so yeah, the, the film did a good job of, um, again, even though it was trying to play by play Jaws, they, they changed enough of it and kind of made it their own a little bit. Just little things like that. So going back to the end of the movie, like we were talking about, I probably thought one of the greatest lines in the movie was the mower has tipped the van over. The Quint character is dead. Coming after the Roy and the Hooper character, coming after Roy. And um, I still can't remember the character's name, but her real name is Victoria Scott, the actress. And the lawnmower is coming at him. And what he slapped, um, he had slapped some C4 on it, a big chunk of C4. And it's coming at him. And was he, oh yeah, he wasn't shooting at it. But it was like the end of Jaws where um, Chief Brody shoves the air tank into the shark's mouth and he's shooting it as the boat's sinking. So in this one, he's got C4 on the mower and he's sitting there hitting golf balls at it, trying to hit the C4 to explode it. And right as he hits the last one that you know is going to explode the mower, he's instead of going, smile, you son of a bitch, he goes, four. <laughs> He hits the ball and then boom, blows the mower to shit. See, I'm glad we covered this movie. Yeah, it it was so good. I'll definitely watch this again. You know, Clint will start halfway through, but I bet he'll watch it again. Uh, see, um, again, I, I as it went on, I enjoyed the movie more. Uh, I am glad that I watched it, but I have no intention of revisiting this movie. But I do think, like I said, this is a movie that I think could be remade and bring it and even bring that style of movie back to the forefront um trauma's still going you know i mean what they just came out a couple years ago with shakespeare shitstorm you know and stuff like that so there's new new projects in that vein but something like this i think if it was remade or redone it could kind of reinvent or reignite that subgenre it'd be kind of cool and they left it open for a sequel because at the very end of blades lawnmower's dead Throughout the movie, they had kind of introduced this little side story real quick. This guy's out trimming his hedges, little electric hedge trimmer. And then at the very end of the movie, it goes back to him and he sets his hedge trimmer down and goes in to talk to his wife or something. And the hedge trimmer starts to come to life on its own. And then it says something like, uh, what was it like just when you thought it was safe to trim the bushes or something like that? <laughs> yeah, because on the back of the Vinegar Syndrome slipcover, it says, just when you thought it was safe to put. I can't remember if I watched this first or Bloodhook first. Bloodhook's famous because Vinegar Syndrome put that movie out and put the slipcover on it and it sold out. And the slipcover is like 200 bucks now, two to 300 bucks just for the slipcover to blood hook. So I was like, that's, I'll watch that because um, I want to see it. And it's another trauma movie um, that's kind of off the wall. It's about a serial killer at a fishing tournament. So I can't remember if I watched Blades first or that first. Either way, it led me to Blades and I had a blast with it. I've seen it twice. I'll see it again. What do you think? Are we ready to rate it? You want to go first, Jason? You seem excited. I got to stop you there. We got to go. We got to visit Clint's Fun Fact Corner. Oh, never been there. This isn't a big deal. Right. <laughs> welcome, welcome back. Pay your admission at the door. No, so I found out that Victoria Scott, who was the actress, she was the other golf pro in this. She was also in, she was the only one out of all the uh, actors involved in this movie that went on to a, a more, 
I don't know, mainstream or substantial career. But she was also in Kingpin with Woody Harrelson, you know, the bowling movie, which I love that movie. And uh, she was in Witness with um, Harrison Ford, which I thought was cool. But another interesting fact about her is that she was married to Chuck Yeager, and he was the first pilot to break the sound barrier. There's your fun fact for the day. I just thought it was an interesting point to bring up. Someone involved in this movie had some other stuff going on. But that's all I found about this, except for if you watch the credits, they're listing off the, the cast and crew. Somebody in there, usually it's the director, if you attach to it, so you say directed by Alan Smithy. Somewhere in the credits, it just randomly says, Engineer, Alan Smithy. So apparently somebody involved with this film was like, fuck that, my name is Alan Smithy. Or they didn't have an engineer, so they just threw that name in there? I guess so. I don't know. Clint even evaluated the credits. I'm a credit watcher. I love, you know, because when you start seeing connections, and I love when you go back and you can find out that, oh, this person worked on this movie, or this is where they got their start, or they were a grip, and now it's Brad Pitt. I don't know. started as a grip on Blades in 89. I don't know. Just trying to find those connections is fun. That's my fun facts. Rate the movie. Here we go. Here we go. Drum roll. All right. I had such a good time with this. I don't know what I rate the other movies. I say that a lot. So I don't want to rate something better. Like if I had them all in front of me, I'd probably rate them differently. But no, this one's a good, you know, seven hay bales with balloons out of 10. I really enjoyed this movie. I knew you guys were kind of bashing it a little bit. And I'm just sitting here like not saying shit because I'm like, man, I want to talk about this. I'm excited. But I thought it would kind of shock you guys like how much I I truly loved this like as a parody. And it definitely is a horror comedy classic worthy of the I Like It Spooky podcast. Wow. He just mic dropped. He just said worthy of the I Like It Spooky Horror podcast. Uh, so. Um, super slow start. If it, I almost, if it wasn't for the fact that I'm doing this podcast, I don't know if I would have went and picked up after those 20 minutes. So if you listening, decide to watch this film based off what we're talking about, stick with it, just stick with it. And you eventually will have a good time. So when I first started watching this, I turned it off and I'm like, you know what? I don't think I'd give this thing a two, you know, I'll, I'll give it maybe a one or so because it got produced. I did notice it had a decent production quality, a good, not decent, a good production quality. And, um, but I'm glad I went back and as I'm watching it, I'm like, okay, well, five is an average movie. And I was like, so I'm going to rate this four. <laughs> but actually, again, having this conversation and talking with you guys and, and laughing and realizing that I did have fun with this, I'm going to go ahead and take it to like a 4.8 because to me, five is an average movie that, um, oh, that's on. I'm going to watch that again. I have no intention of watching this film again. But I'm glad that I did. It went up from the negatives that we started at, at least, in the first 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. Whew, it was bad. So I'm going to... I've watched this movie twice. I watched it a couple weeks ago. I watched it this morning uh, to get ready for the podcast. So I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10 horny housewives. Yes. Yeah, she has nothing to do with anything that happens in the movie, but she was in it. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely feel like you could have cut out the first 20 minutes of the movie, maybe even 30 minutes total. It would have been just as good. I don't know. Maybe you have to put an hour and 20 minutes into it so it's not considered a short or you can get it released or, you know, I don't know what they were thinking. Hell, they had $650,000 to spend. (laughs) It's kind of mixed the other way. I thought Clint was going to kind of break this down with his philosophical explanation of everything like he did with Twice Dead. 
But no, <laughs> this was just silly and fun. And the story wasn't that great, but it's a good movie. Worth a watch. You know what you can break down philosophically? Our podcast network, because it's full of shows for you to listen to. So let's hear from them. That make you think. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. So now that we've heard from our podcast network, we have a question. So Tiffany, one of our listeners from Galesburg, Illinois, wants to know what movie has the best kills. And I kind of listened to this or read it and I was like, oh, what are the best kills in movies? And then I was like, does she want to know the best kills in movies or what movie combined has the best kills? So you could take it either way. I have an answer to both questions. What do you guys think? Not Blades. <laughs> I just kind of took it as, you know, just I just went flat out best kill, maybe best kill scene. Like if it's an extended scene, I have a kind of an answer for both of those. A movie in general, like with repeated good kills. Nah, I, I don't know. I didn't really look into that, but I guess we'll kind of answer it plenty of different ways. I kind of I wrote down a little list here trying to figure out which one I want to go with. I don't want to be super mainstream, but like there's two of them that stand out, but I'll, I'll just give them all. The two that really stand out to me are hugely famous scenes. Uh, the chestburster from Alien, which was amazing. Just that the chestburster is an iconic thing now. It was a great scene. I, don't, I hope I'm not taking your guys' answers here. But the defibrillator, uh, the thing where, you know, they go to shock him and the chest opens up. And that's freaking fantastic. But my favorite kill, I would say, is uh, just, a, just a simple one. The, the Night of the Living Dead, 1990 where Bill Mosley is wrestling around with the zombie in the cemetery at the beginning of the movie, and he just falls and cracks his head on the tombstone because it's very cringeworthy. My daughter hates it every time we watch it, so it's just kind of something for me there. I love that kill. It's super plain, super vanilla. Nobody else would probably say that one, but that's mine. And then, like, best overall scene. Hope I'm not bombarding everything here. But is... Uh, Jesus Christ, will you shut up already? God. I know, right? Jesus. I feel bad because I'm, like, I'm naming all these things and then you're like, yep, you just took both of ours. The best opening or best scene of a kill is, I think, is the original Scream. The whole scene with, you know, what are you watching? What are you doing? And then your, your boyfriend's dead and then the whole chase scene, all that iconic. That's all I got to say about that. You sure? <laughs> I mean, I got more. I can keep going. What about the hereditary head scene? Oh, I want to throw up thinking about it. That's not what it sounded like you wanted to do with after that noise. Oh, oh, oh the hereditary head scene. Oh, I, I'm kind of shocked and I'm, I'm not going to try to like, 
uh, I don't know, shit uh, to take, to take your phrase. I'm not trying to shit on what you say, but I'm kind of surprised because like you actually said it yourself, most of your choices there were kind of, kind of vanilla, kind of cardboard. When I, when I think of kills, I think of, of gory and I think of um, inventive. So I have two and I know that there's a lot more that I'm probably not even thinking of, but the first two that popped to mind was in Jason X of all movies, Jason goes to space, probably the worst entry in that franchise, but it's shortly after Jason comes back to life on the spaceship and he takes the the girl who she's over the sink of like cryogenetic liquid and shoves her head in there and he pulls it out and she's, you know, just frozen. And then he bashes her face in the counter and it just goes everywhere in a bunch of meaty ice cubes. Fucking glorious. And my second is from Studio 666, the Foo Fighters horror movie that came out last year. That was such a great scene where the the one guy from the band is in bed with the, the groupie chick. And I think Jackal's playing in the background because it's the Chainsaw song. And they're getting into it. Dave Grohl, who's been possessed, is underneath the bed and comes up between both of them and cuts them open with a chainsaw wide open. That was just, my jaw was open and it was, and then I laughed because it was just so over the top and ridiculous. But those are my two. Good choices. Well, I had three. Jason took one and Clint took another one. So I'm down to just one. (laughs) So I had the Jason X face smash. I had the the death by defibrillator from the thing. And my third one, which is probably my favorite of all time. I mean, you got the opening to Jaws is a great kill. The when Leatherface comes out and hangs the girl on the hook or when he pulls the dude in and smashes him in the head. My favorite, though. Is probably the cockroach death from Nightmare on Elm Street 4. You know, where the girl's walking and she's on the glue and then she starts turning into a cockroach and Freddie pulls her apart. That's probably my favorite one of all time. I had Nightmare on Elm Street. I was thinking like the Johnny Depp Glenn death scene, you know, getting pulled into the bed. And then just blood everywhere. Yeah, there, I was thinking, you know, like the Jason pushes the dude and the eyeballs pop out in uh, part three. I mean, there's just so many. Yeah, I have quite a little list. I had like the phantasm, the the little sphere. That was so great going into the head, drilling into the head, the blood coming out. Of course, the iconic sleeping bag from Friday the 13th. Oh, yeah, that's a great one from part seven. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Omen is a good one. It's all for you, Damien. Yeah, the maid up there or whatever she was. And oh, my God. I just read your mind. And then, of course, Terrifier, you know, cutting the girl in half. And I know Bone Tomahawk had something like that, but I've never seen that movie. Uh, I should watch that sometime. Don't forget, you know, I should have added this. The Toxic Avenger. When they run over the little kid on the bike with the helmet, whatever opinion people have of me, they may lose if I have any, like, favor with anybody, they may lose it. But I remember being younger. You know what I'm talking about, where they run over the kid. And I would go back and rewind. Me and my buddy would go back and rewind and watch it and rewind and watch it and rewind and watch it. Because it was just, at that point, you know, we were, I don't know, 13, 14 when we saw that, maybe. And uh, I hadn't seen anything like that to that point. It was so much fun watching that head explode over and over and over and over and over. (laughs) I don't have any problems. Sorry. I also kind of went into this and kind of looked at some of the movies that we covered and was thinking about some of the death scenes from that. Black Christmas, one of the movies that I hated at first, and then I loved it. Just that plain, like, plastic bag scene where she gets smothered in the plastic bag, and that's the iconic cover of her just sitting in the rocking chair still with the bag over her face. Uh, So plain, but so good. And then um, Dead Alive. 
take your pick. I mean, <laughs> it's that that's like over the top gore, just a lot of great scenes. But I'm thinking of uh, like the lawnmower that stands out. So, uh, so many good kills. I know. I wish I remembered more. I am not surprised that none of us brought up any of the kills from Blades. But I am surprised that Jason didn't bring up the electric penis kill from Twice Dead. <laughs> oh, dang it. All right, I got to change my answer. Um, <laughs> no, just that one was good. I thought for sure Jason would be like, "Oh, you know when uh, Michael pins Bob to the wall." I thought that would be on your list, something along those lines. Or so I thought. Like I said at the beginning of the conversation, I went back to, "Does she want to know what movie has the best kills in it, like overall, or what kills do we feel like are are the best or our favorite?" And I went with the first part, what movie has the best overall kills? And I always go back to Intruder. You know that movie with the serial killer in the grocery store? Yeah, the Sam Raimi flick. Yeah, the Sam and Bruce Campbell's in there. You know, at the end, he's a police officer. I feel like that is one of the movies that when you compile the kills in it, is like one of the best movies kill-wise in history. I just love a lot of the kills in that movie and the special effects in that movie. So that would probably be like... If I'm going to sit down and watch just kills from a movie, I want to put Intruder in and just watch those kills from that movie. You know, I, I know that uh, maybe we can discuss that movie sometime because I uh, had never ran across it. And then a couple of years ago, maybe a year ago, I had heard of it. And so I sat down and watched it. It was on Shutter, And so I watched it. And um, I had never seen a Sam Raimi slasher flick. That was a Sam Raimi slasher flick. I thought that... Um, he should have edited himself a little bit as far as not gore or subject matter, but just, you know, there were things that could have been omitted from that film that didn't drag it down. But all in all, a Sam Raimi slasher flick was, yeah, you're right. There were some great kills in there. It was a great flick. I don't know if it's streaming anywhere, but I do own it on Blu-ray. I think it's on Tubi right now. So now that we've covered our question, what are we up to? Anything? Anybody? Jason, you got anything? I'm going to go see. I, I would have already seen it by the time this airs is the... Brian and I are going to go check out the, what's it called? My Bloody Valentine, the Capitol Theater in Burlington. So we would have already done that, but otherwise. So I'm actually getting out and doing something that I should have named on the last episode, but I'm lame and I forget freaking everything. No, nothing really. I got my days off approved for going to Motor City Legacy. I'm excited for that, but that's still, what hell, two months away. Nothing else. Lame as ever. Sorry. <laughs> what about you guys? Cocaine Bear will be out soon. Oh, Lord. <laughs> so let's see. This airs on uh, Sunday, February 19th. So I will be a week away from jumping into a frozen lake for the Special Olympics. Got a couple guest spots coming up on some podcasts. One at the end of February. We're going to discuss Pink Flamingos. I've never seen it before. So this is a podcast where they talk about your first time seeing a movie or listening to a record or going to a restaurant or eating a type of food. Um, so I'm going to watch Pink Flamingos for the first time and we're going to talk about that. And then later in March... I'm doing another guest spot and we're talking top 10 cannibal movies. So I'm sure as we get closer to that date and the release date of that, I'll talk about it again, but I'm shooting to watch 20 cannibal movies in the next month before that episode comes out. So I started with a uh, eating Raul was my first one. I'd never seen that. So I started with that movie last night. I'm on my way. That's all I got. What about you, Clint? I guess I can force myself to listen to Tad's voice because I'd like to hear that conversation about Pink Flamingos. Just kidding, Tad. Love you. I always feel like I'm a broken record this time of year because it's just a continuance of the same stuff. But I'm trying to work in this writing project. Um, I've been banging out shirts here at Ink Mirrors. 
just getting stuff, working on toys, working on t-shirts, getting stuff ready for this upcoming convention uh, season. And so the day that this airs, we'll be recording a new episode and we are going to have Tom Smith and Chuck Ryan of the Valentine Bluffs fan film on. We're going to be interviewing them and discussing the film by then. You guys would have, uh, would have seen it. That's pretty much it, man. But you know, we're getting closer to mowing season. So maybe I'm going to go in my garage and I'm going to show my lawnmower some love so it doesn't try to eat me. Oh, we'll cut the bag open to see if you're in there. <laughs> Was it weird that the lawnmower ate those golf balls and that Playboy didn't even cut it? It was all whole. I guess if that's my biggest gripe with the movie, I'm okay. So now that you've heard what we're up to or what we're not up to, don't forget to check us out on our socials. I like it. Spooky Horror Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>